Pokertov. Today's daf is daf Yud. We pick up at the bottom of daf uh, Tenemitz Bet, and um, we are in the middle of the story of Shimshon because it's part of the whole uh, Midah Keneged Midah uh, sort of um, expansion from Sota. Although here again, it's interesting because it's talking about a a man's sexual sins. Anyway, we pick up where it says, um, uh, okay, Vayivaka. Um, three, uh, six, uh, what is it? Seven lines on the bottom. The uh, beginning of the line with the uh, little beginning of the pasuk. So this was part of the story where where uh, Shimshon was uh, thirsting for water, and God cracked open the machtesh asher balechi, which is presumably means like the hollow within the uh, jaw. Here, there was a jawbone of a of, uh, of an ass, right? What? Right. So I'm Rabbi Yosef today, Rabbi Ami. Who evaluated Davar Tamei? He lusted after a impure thing, meaning the uh, non-Jewish uh, women. Um, therefore, his life was dependent on this uh, jaw of a uh, of, of a donkey, um, which is from where the water came out. Um, Are you saying this, that God made a miracle and he died? Yeah, but it was unseemly that it had to come from this donkey's jaw. Um, presumably, that's the point. Um, okay. And the spirit of God began to like uh, ring out in the uh, camp of Don in the tribe of Don. Um, so the it took effect finally. Like to be chal to take effect the prophecy of Yaakov. So you know Don should be a serpent by the way. So finally here now this Shimshon uh, from Don is going to be attacking the enemies. To like ring out in the uh, tribe of Don. It was like, it's like the divine presence was like, um, uh, knocking around, yeah, knocking around, or like a ringing out in front of him, like a bell. Um, it's a bell. It's a ringer. Um, okay, Ben Ven Eshtaol between Siran what Ben Sarah, excuse me, Sarah Ven Eshtaol Eshtaol, thank you. I'm going to be asking. Sarav Eshtaol, Snei Harim Gedolim Hayu. These were two huge mountains. The Akron Shimshon B'Tchanan Zebazeh, and Shimshon, in his strength, uprooted them and ground them into one another. I have no idea. V'hu Yachel, it's an opportunity to say another a nice little midrash about Shimshon. V'hu Yachel, V'hu Yachel, Hoshi Yisrael. Now we're doubling back to the prophecy that the uh, angel gave. He will begin to bring salvation to Israel, or to or to save Israel. I'm going to be now, as opposed to the Chacham to take effect, here it's not like Chulin, like Lo Yachel Dvaro, remember from the Darim, the Oath of Avimelech has now been made void. That, you know, if you betray me and my, uh, chi- and, 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 my, and my child and my grandchild. So what does this mean? Because Avimelech is obviously Plish team, and Shimshon is now going to be attacking the Plish team. So how's it, how is the, how is the Oath been made void? So as he says, they already violated that, you know, by attacking Israel. So the shul was avoided. So now Israel is going to go back and attack Can them. You say it's more than three generations. Well, you could, I guess. I guess. Okay. Again, early life of Shimshon. He grew up and God blessed him. But with what did God bless him? I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. You would think, why well, just wait? I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. Marav Shabircho Okay, with his. Uh, 
well, okay, with his penis. Uh, so the Gemara says, Amato, now the Gemara corrects this and says, well, it doesn't just mean the size. It means, Amato, give me a dumb note. It's a normal size. The Zaro can achol shotef. But now the Zaro here not actually being the semen, not his uh, progeny, was like a rushing river. So Rashi, and Rashi says basically, Lemashinit aven nitzparach. So clearly he was very lustful and that's the thing that he desired with sexual prowess. So that is what he was blessed with. That's very uh, interesting. I mean, meaning because like, he was with all these women, right? Is that what we're saying? That God like, gave blessed in that way? That well, that's the thing. I mean, that's this point. verse occurs before he desires the women. So, but apparently the point is, like, this is something he wanted. He wanted sexual prowess. God blessed him and then he presumably acted on it. So that seems to be the sort of story. But, uh, yeah. Why do you think this, you know, like, simply? Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an opportunity to make thrush out. But I guess the real point is that why don't, why don't they read the Pesukim simply? But, like, what point are they trying yeah. to make? You know, so, and maybe part of the point might have to do with the point that the Gemara is going to get to later, which is, is like, you know, people are blessed with different things, but they're, like, the Gemara is going to later talk about, you know, that often the things that we, uh, that, that certain people are, were very uh, blessed with ultimately led to their downfall. Like, you have to know how to control these things, you know, so, and maybe that's, again, part, of, like, you desire certain things, he actually has this uh, ability, right, he has this, but nevertheless, you don't go ahead and, and, and act on it, and it leads to your downfall, which also part at least perhaps is the message about Sota but I don't know you're, well, you're welcome to suggest another explanation yes Dove yeah, you know, I, I, I like to figure out the, sort of the, the, the language play of these Midrashim he, he took the two mountains and ground them into dust because of the Rishak, of the Shak Shukim in other words it was then Torava Eshtao yeah. and he took the two mountains yeah. and he banged them together right so that's the image and but so that's a little Fa'amo you mean Kashkesh yeah could be okay alright Alright, Vayikrashim Shonal Hashem, and Shimshim called out to God, Vayomer, and he said, Hashem Elohim, Vachreni Navichazgeni Naachapam, remember me and give me strength this one last time. Vinakmanakam Echatin Shte Enai, and let me just have vengeance from one of the eyes, me please stream from these Philistines. Amarav, Amar Shimshon, Vichrashim, Baruch Shimshon said to God, Vibono Shalom, Zachorli Esrim Vishtaim, or some say Esrim Shana, Shishafatati at Israel, remember me the 20 years I judged Israel, Vomarti Lechad Mehem, Haveli Makemi Makom Lamakom, and I never sort of misused my uh, position. I never even said to them, could you bring my stick from one place to another? I never treated them like servants or whatever. I, you know, I, I, was, I, I dealt properly with my subjects. Now again, where we're getting that from this pasuk, you know, obviously that's like a theme like when, you know, when the, uh, you know, when, when Moshe's uh, leadership is challenged, when Shmuel, they ask for a king, he says, you know, have I ever I've been such a good leader, I never took advantage of them. Where it's getting it from this, I don't know. Okay. Um, we're jumping back and forth also. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're getting, I know. Jump to the end. Now jump back. Shimshon went, this is obviously before that last scene, and he went and he smote 300 ox, uh, foxes. Um, well, I, think, I don't think, I'm not that he smote them, right? He didn't kill them, did he? He's like, uh, yeah, he tied the yeah, whatever. Like, he, he took their tails together. Right? right, okay. So, yes, he, ta- he captured them. Um, okay. So, Maishna Shualim, why foxes? Yeah, that's right. He didn't smite them. Amar Rebbe Avo, Rebbe Nagdi, Amar Rebbe Chiyabar Abba, Amar Shimshon, Shimshon said, Yavo Misha, Choser Lachurav, let the one come who retreats backwards on his steps. When a fox, like, is backs off, he doesn't turn around and run. He, like, starts, he walks backwards. So, let the one who walks backwards on his steps be from me, Plishim Shechazru B'Shuratan, and let him take vengeance on the Philistines these oxen who, who they, they betrayed the oath they were the ones that violated the oath first and began oppressing Israel
Tanya, we done Bryce Emery, Rabbi Shimon, Achasi, Banks, Tefal, Shel Shimshon, the, the uh, shoulder length, uh, width of Shimshon, from, you know, one uh, shoulder to the next, um, was, um, Shishim Ama, was 60 cubits long, 90 feet. And it has to be uh, something with that. well, now we're gonna see why. Vayishkav Shimshon, Achasi, Alayla, he, he slept for half the night. Vayakam Achasi, Alayla, he woke in the middle of the night. This is back to the, uh, final scene. Vayachaz, Budulatot, Shareh, Ha'ir, he grabbed seas of the, uh, of the, of, of the, of the doors, of the gates of the city. Which like he was bound to, and the two lentils, um, and he carried them up on his back with the bolt, and he put them on his shoulders. So basically, he had here the doors of the city on his uh, on his back. The um, Gemiri, and we have a tradition to that the doors of, of Aza are not are not are not narrower than sixty amot long. So here it was he carried them all on his back. All right. So that's how that's how broad he was. He's like a regular Paul Bunyan. Okay, <laughs> and there they was. They attached him to a millstone, and they had him grinding in the uh, jailhouse. So, and with the millstone, you know, walking around the millstone basically and uh, making it grind. So, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Going back to the whole sexual theme here, here does not literally mean grinding. It's a metaphor for uh, sexual for, for sexual intercourse. Um, that this man will basically uh, grind after my wife, which they, you know, which basically means have intercourse with. So, what does it mean that he was grinding in the uh, in the house of the uh, of the of the in the jail? So, Amr Eb Yochanan wants to establish that that's what the word means. Uh, so, so he was like a uh, stud. a stud, right? What was the name of that one that uh, that was paid a million dollars for every uh, that horse? Oh, uh, yeah. Secretariat. Secretariat, I think. It wasn't Secretariat? Anyway, whatever. Anyway, so every, every man brought his wife. So by the way, you know, it is, all of this is very interesting, of course, in the context of Sota. Because Sota is like the woman, you know, she's, uh, you know, she commits adultery, she betrays her husband, the jealous husband. Here's the husband as opposed to grabbing his wife who he suspects of committing adultery and bringing her to the Beit HaMikdash. It's grabbing his wife and forcing her to undergo sex with this other man so he could have, you know, strong kids like Shimshon. But obviously the whole sense of like the woman as almost property, you know, subject to whatever the husband wants to do, you know, uh, you know whether it's uh, that I think certainly is uh, is a theme that comes out here. When the man himself and sometimes is doing this to his own wife, right? Exactly. Rashi has a fascinating comment on that verse. Rabotinu pirshu ma shapirshu. <laughs> he, he, won't, he won't say exactly what that right, right. Rep- and he references this uh, right 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 like okay they have a very elaborate rasha but let's not talk about it <laughs> yeah. okay anyway yeah okay so um, alright um, where were we that's what people say. Coming to Shafi Chamra Chamra, in front of one who is drink, who, who drinks wine, in front of a drunkard, you give wa- you know they they give wine. Coming to Rifuka, in front of a like a a, a, a farmer or a gardener, Gerida uh, Duvla, you bring a a basket of uh, vegetables. So you know people get what they're uh, you know what the, you know what you know what they what they what they want what they or what they're about. Um, so even though it doesn't do a drunkard any good to give him any more wine, you know. It's not always good for him, but you know, that's so, so same point here with Shimshon. Okay, so, 
Vamar of Yochanan, Kolam Zaneh, now again, it's always, I think, very interesting, again, like how much, you know, what you're saying, not with Homosecha that focuses on the wife and her guilt or whatever, how much are we shifting also the focus to the man? So here's what, so let's see what this says. Kolam Zaneh, Ishtom Zaneh Netalav. Any man who uh, commits adultery, his wife will, um, will uh, or fornicates, I should say, his wife will uh, fornicate or commit adultery against him. So again, it's very interesting, the whole parallel, because as we've been pointing out, as a matter of halacha, right, if a man sleeps with a woman that's not his wife, if she's not a married woman, that's not adultery, right? But we've already talked about the fact that the Gemara does not limit its concept of sexual sin to the, that technical halacha issue. If you remember before, for example, the Gemara said that, well, Shimshon's really, when he began to be Mikalkel was not just when he married non-Jewish women, but when he actually went to prostitutes, right? So there's like a moral framing of the definition of sexual sin, which is not necessarily the narrow halachic definition. So here it's talking about a man who is mizaneh. Presumably it doesn't just mean sleeps with a married woman. Presumably it means he sleeps around, right? And then his wife is going to do the same to him. So I think it's what's very important is A, focusing on the fact that the man is not always pure. A, that if a man's wife is committing adultery, this is the point that we've been saying at the beginning, what, how is he contributing to that, right? Who is really to blame? And, you know, how did that whole, pro- how did that whole thing start? And that uh, also recognizes that for him also it's an equivalent type of an idea of zinut. Okay, so I think that's a very important introducing this line in, you know, in the larger discussion. If I, my, hand, my, my heart has been seduced for a woman, and I uh, laid wait by the door of my, of my neighbor, like to basically seduce his wife. So that, and then the end of the verse is, and this is the verse we quoted before about grinding, then he will grind after my wife, then my wife will commit adultery against, against me. Okay, so here, by the way, it is actually adultery because it is about another man's wife. It's not just another woman. But nevertheless, uh, the parallel here is important. And then the Gemara says, um, and, uh, and, and for her, they will like bow down you know, after her, meaning they will uh, prostrate themselves. So men will chase after her. If I chase after my neighbor's wife, men will chase after my wife. And that's what people say, He eats like a small uh, gourd and his wife eats a big one, which basically is the ancient version of what's good for the goose is... Oh, there you go. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Okay? Well, maybe also that's a little... That's also a little... Uh, of, a, of a sexually evocative picture, too. <laughs> but I think the point is more like what's good for the goose is good for the gander type of thing. If you do it, it's going to get done to you. Okay. That Reb Yochanan. Shimshon. Back to Shimshon. Shimshon Dan Israel. Um, he was such a righteous judge going back to that point right the whole thing by the way I think it's also important right about the idea of here you could be so righteous before it's called him the tzaddik and whatever and how lust can ultimately uh, uh, you know lead to your downfall so here you know at the same time we're emphasizing Shimshon's lust um, we're also talking about what a great judge he was and how righteous he was in other ways so we're not saying that he couldn't be one because of the other uh, well that's true also but also how could lead to the downfall um, okay so the says he was such a good judge he, was, he, he treated them like, like, the God, like, like God like the father in heaven like the one like God and the Dan Yadinamo is understood to refer to Shimshon the name Shimshon was ultimately a reference to God that God is a 
a sword and a protector, a protector and, a, and, and not a sword, a, a protector and a shield for them. Elamiata says the so Shamash is like a, 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 a shield, but it refers to like it's a godly name. Elamiata says Gemara lo yimacha. So how how can we erase the name of Shimshon? Let it be a name of God. Wait, Ella, what? Isn't it problematic at all? He's given the name of God. Yeah. Well, we're going to correct it anyway. Okay, we'll oh, <laughs> write the word Shemesh then. What? Well, well, let's see what it says. It's so the going to correct it. Really? It's really a name of God? So let's say it's also a race. All right, it's not literally a name of God, but it refers to God. You know, a lot of people have names like God, right? You know, they have El in their name, you know, Yeshayahu, Eliezer, whatever. So Tosa says the real point, Tosa has another question. Tosa says what? Every word, every word that refers to God can't be erased. How about Hanun and Rachum? Like those are names that can be erased. Shalom is the name of God. So Tosa says, well, you're right. Those are really descriptions more than they are proper names. And he says that's really what the Gemara means in its answer. Answer. When the ancient Moshe Baruch Hu means to say shamash, a shield, a protector, maybe you, you know, God is my rock. So in some English they have the R with a capital, like rock with a capital R, right? You know, a rock. You know, Sur Yisrael will go alow. But ultimately, it's a descriptor. So therefore, that's a name that people can use. They use a similar type of a name that's ultimately a descriptor, even though it's a name that's used specifically to describe God. Um, okay. So it says, um, so it can be erased. So, because it's not, it's not a proper name of God. I understand the problem. Really. It says Al Shemoshim. All right. Uh, so yeah. So that's in the end. It just clarifies. Magin or Magin Kulo. God protects the whole world. Magin Yisrael. He was the protector in the you know for his generation over Israel. God is forever protector of the world. Shimshon in his generation protect Israel. Was the defender of Israel. Bilam also said Bilam was was lame in one leg. And Shefi could be, could be an Aramaic word to mean like to be dislocated. So like one of his uh, limbs or whatever legs was, was dislocated, he was lame. The double language of Shefi, which is now fascinating. So here he was on the same time all of this strength and at the same time also he was, uh, you know, he was lame in his legs, which... Uh, yeah, how did it go carrying them or whatever? But, uh, you know, I mean, I think maybe with the nice thing, I mean, obviously there are things in this Gemara which are challenging to read or whatever, or a little uncomfortable. But the interesting thing also is that the complexity, you know, often people complain like, oh, you know, for Chazal, everybody was either totally a Tzaddik or totally a Russia. You know, Asaph was a total Russia, Yaakov was a total Tzaddik. You know, here it like reflects like the complexity of human nature. You know, you can have somebody that's very righteous and a protector of Israel and very lustful and running after these women and uh, you know and uh, he could be very strong even physically strong in one way and have a physical disability in another way and like I think there's something powerful about not like putting people in these easy boxes um, okay so now the Gemara says like this Tanu Rabbanan five were created something like me'en dugma like a double little distancing language similar to the image of you know of what it is up above meaning there's something almost divine you know or heaven, heavenly about, their, about a particular quality of theirs it was so out of the ordinary but ultimately it was their downfall right so this gets back to that thing about you have people can be blessed with certain things but you've got to be careful with them because they can be your downfall so what were they? Shimshon b'kocho Shimshon in his strength Shaul b'tzavah Shaul in his neck 
because no, he was no. mishichma umala, no. right? He was uh, higher than, taller than everybody else. May, I don't know, maybe his height was in, was in his legs, but okay. Anyway, maybe it's mishichma umala. From his, from his shoulders up is where he was higher. All right, anyway. Avshalom Avshalom in his hair. Tzitkiel be'enav. Tzitkiel with his eyes. Asabra glav. And now we're going to unpack this. Shimshon bekocho. Shimshon in his strength. Shaul dichsiv, it says. Vayaser kocho me'alav. So the same thing that was his, uh, you know, was what he was so great about was ultimately what was taken from him at the end. Now, that's not exactly the same thing that it led to its, his downfall. I mean, you know, before it was sort of like, you know, his, his eyes, he lusted after his eyes and his eyes were poked out. You know, here, the strength wasn't necessarily the bad thing about him, you know, but that thing that he, what? That came about because his strength returned to him. I was honest with you, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. But it's, right. So it is interesting. Interesting again because it's not like, but it's not like his uh, his sin ultimately was in his strength, you know. So it's a, anyway. So it's, it's not the exact moral message you were expecting. Anyway, let's see. Shaul b'tzavarot yisiv vayichar Shaul atacherev vayapel aleha. So he when he was you know he committed suicide he fell on the sword. So normally I guess we imagine he pierced himself through his like stomach his torso. But Rashi says well normally where a person is executed with the sword is you cut off him, him off at the neck. So it's not exactly much of an evidence from the pasuk. But again, it's not like we saw that Shaul sinned because of his height, like somehow that led to Gava or anything. So this is not like your fatal flaw type of a message. It's like, you know, so I don't know what the message is. Like the strength, like these five people, like you might think that they're like almost godlike. Oh, I see. Back to God. Oh, I see. So it's not a moral message. I see. That's a nice point. It's not a moral message. It's just saying like, no matter how much you're blessed or what you have the strength, ultimately it's not going to save you from your final fate. Ultimately, it's not yours. Yeah, that's very nice. Thank you. Um, um, okay. Um, where were we? Okay. Absalom is because Absalom is the one that at most is a type of a we're going to say that later. I mean, that's almost the one that's most explicit in the verses. It is explicit. His eyes were blinded. Now Rashi says, yeah, but where does it say that ultimately his eyes were so beautiful, right, that his eyes were such a divine gift? So, well, since it says he was blinded in his eyes, <laughs> that's how you say it. Exactly. So anyway, Rashi says it must have been a tradition. His, his legs became, uh, you know, injured, uh, ill or whatever. He were, uh, um, so, so again, where do we see that he was, was blessed with something in his legs? We don't know. That was some tradition. Okay. So, what was this uh, thing that, uh, this disease that affected his legs? It was something called padagra. What is padagra? Actually, didn't say this. Gout. Oh, gout. Okay. So, Amalei Marzutra braid Rav Nachman Rav Nachman. So, Marzutra said, to his father Rav Nachman, Hezidami Padagra, what's that like? Uh, what's the experience like? Like a needle in raw flesh. Um, so I guess it means it's extremely painful. So, um, uh, Samuel Johnson writes about that. He had gout. Yeah. Instead, it's like a rat nibbling at his toe. Oi, oi. So there you go. All right. Okay, wow. Now, how did Rav Nachman know that was what it was like? 
He had it. He experienced it. He got it. He has a tradition from his Rebbe. I don't know if it means his Rebbe had it, but it was a tradition. And some say, God's secret is to those who fear him, like he just knew it through some inspiration, which you might remember was a similar discussion we had before about the sheer Bia. Uh, I don't know. He wasn't, right? <laughs> he wasn't a doctor. Why was Asa punished? Again, we said he was Biraglav, but again, as we were just discussing, you know, that the point was not that the punishment was a Midah Kineged Midah, it was just this trait which was so powerful, ultimately he lost. So why was he punished then? Because he drafted the Torah students. You can only imagine how this Gemara is used in religious politics in Israel. I kid you not. This Gemara is quoted so much relating to, to the draft for Kolo students. Yeah. He like he sat, you know, he he raised up, meaning he, you know, to to, to kingly service. All of Judea, none was exempt. My Enaki, what does it mean? None was exempt. So not only Talmud sages, but even those that the Torah explicitly exempts, people like the day after their wedding or the day of their wedding. Okay, and the Gemara and uh, and the Aruch says the came I mean. He wasn't exempting you know, the bride and the groom. So anyway, this Gemara is obviously, uh, like I said, used about, uh, to, as, as a basis for, for saying that uh, Kolal students shouldn't be drafted. Um, okay. Ksiv, Vayerich Shimshon Timnasa. He went down to Timna. Um, the Ksiv, another verse says, Timnasa, by Yehuda. Your, father, your father-in-law is going up to Timnasa. So is, do you go up to Timnasa or do you go down to Timnasa? Where is it? coming. <laughs> Alright, <laughs> Character. It was an experience that that raised him up. Aliyah. Um, it says he went up to Timna. Which, by the way, that actually might be pshat. Like Olen Yarad might not be geographic. You know, when we say about you know you make like you go you make making Aliyah to Israel. It's not a question about whether it's higher or lower, north or south. What? Yes, you know? Because topographically Egypt yes. is lower. So you always like this Mitzrayim. You can make drashot, but topographically. It's That's when the I think the Pesukim talk about. No, but the Ali, in other words, like the Aliyah. Yeah, Aliyah. Let me be trying. Moving forward. You're saying Egypt is more topographically. Depends on where you are. All right, I don't know. Like the Nile Basin, yeah. I don't know. We could take a look. It's my it's my sense. That, all right, we, we could take a look. It is my sense that the Psukim do not use Aliyah only in the geographic sense. But right, but but does he? Mean, but again, but I think that that's actually like spiritually. Yeah, like okay. Anyway, we could take a look. What what, what is the shot of of all those Psukim? Okay, um, okay. Let's take a look. Um, so anyway, but that's the first explanation. <coughs> um, okay, where were we? 
There were two places called Timna. One was I, one was I. It was one Timna. No, no, presumably not. Now, now, the interesting thing is that it's more of a powerful if you see it's one Timna and it's telling two contrasting stories relating to women and, you know, you know, you know, leaders in Timna, whatever. Anyway, so it's a little funny to separate those two stories. Okay, it was one Timna. Like Michael said, it was in the middle of the mountain. If you came from one place, you were going down. From another place, you were going up. Kigon Vardunia Ubebari Vishuka Dinarsh. All these were all these were villages on some mountain, and depending on where you're coming from the mountain, you're going up or you're going down. Okay. Now that we're talking about Yehuda, let's talk about Yehuda. But it's interesting, like, you know, like sometimes the Gemara just like, you know, when's it going to tell all the Agatha it has to tell? So if it gets an opening, maybe it tells it. But it is, again, interesting that all of these are stories about sexual sin, right? And notice, by the way, and men being the ones doing the sexual sin. Exactly. So it's, I think, a very important counterbalance to the whole woman sinning, you know, against her husband that is the message of Sosa. Yes. Uh, Wikipedia actually says there are two Timnus. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Is he quotes this Kamar? No, anyway. <laughs> well, they, they quote they quotes, uh, the... Archaeology? Or Tanakh? Rabbi, yes. he says to deliverance Samson and Yehuda. Yes. In other words, when we're saying they're talking about men sinning, they led to deliverance of the people and sort of like the Messianic line. Right, right. That's true. That's true. So ultimately, it does not come with the same. It's like um, you know, right, right, the same, right, the same sense of uh, criticism or whatever, because there's all that whole positive out- con- context to it. That's a good point. Of course, then you have the positive context to a women's, uh, or not like a context, whatever, in, you know, uh, ramifications. Like right with uh, what's her name with um, uh, what? Well, first of all, Tamar, right? She also was in a way whether she was sinning or not. We'll talk about it in a minute. But I was also talking about Yael, right? You know, and uh, so it's not. Yeah, exactly. So you sometimes have right whether man or the woman in a context where leads to salvation. Yeah, but that's a good point. Okay, so it says like this. Uh, okay. Okay. She sat by the, uh, by the uh, crossroads. So what's this word? Petach Inayim. I'm going to Also Timna. So right. Right. Because he came up to Timna. So now we're still in Timna. I'm going She sat by the doorway of Avraham. What Avraham was doing in Timna, I don't know. Malcolm Shakol Inayim Tsofot Lir Oto. Everybody is looking. It's the opening, right? Avraham was Petach Oel. And since he's such a, a welcoming host or whatever, everybody's always looking towards Avraham's Oel because, you know, they'll know they'll be uh, greeted and they'll be welcomed. So... It would be a little dangerous to be over there by Avraham's tent, I think. Maybe she'd be recognized. But whatever, it's a drasha. Okay. Um, no, it means by the uh, opening of the city, Enayim. So, Enam, Enayim. She gave eyes to her words, meaning that she... Uh, she, uh, well, you'll see. She, um, she, she is uh, Tamar. 
Tamar. Yeah, we're on Tamar. But Tayshah Bet Yeah, yeah. She's by the opening of the way. Uh, right. So there she is. She hears that Yehuda is coming up. Okay. So she, you know, she made it possible for Yehuda to act on his desire. See what she's saying. Almost. No. Okay. Well, let's see what it says. Okay. Tishetava. When Yehuda sort of, uh, you know, uh, asked for sex from her, demanded sex, or asked for sex. Amala, he said to her, Shemen Nachrisat. Wait, 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 one minute. Before I sleep with you, Mrs. Pro- Miss Prostitute, maybe you're not Jewish, and I'm not allowed to. <laughs> What can I tell you? How many Jewish prostitutes were there at that time? What? If it was going to be not a Nachris, it would have been a relative of his. Uh, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, seven Nachrisat. I'm like, no, don't worry, I converted to your faith. So I'm a good Jewish prostitute. Okay, Shema Eishas Ishat. Oh, mate, maybe you're married. Don't want to sleep with a married woman. I'm a lot. Pnuyani, no, don't worry, I'm single. Shema Kibel Bachavich Kizushin. Ah, you think you're single. Maybe your father married you off when you were young. I'm a lay. You told me, no, no worries. I'm a. If she's a commerce, she wouldn't have a father. That's a good point. Anyway, I'm an orphan. Shema Tmeat. Wait, maybe you're a Nida. No, I'm a lay. Tahorani, don't worry. I'm a. So, so anyway, whether she was a Yavama. Yeah, well, that's true. So Rashi, <laughs> so Rashi tries to say that she was actually telling the truth about all this. I'm a Giyoret because I married your son. Uh, you know, the whole thing. I'm not a Nida. But what about this thing that her father married her off when she was, uh, that, that she's an orphan? So Rashi says, oh, well, that's why Yehuda wasn't transgressing sleeping with his daughter-in-law because technically she was never married to his son because she was only married not by her father who was dead but by her mother and we know that that's only rabbinic and that the rabbinic institution wasn't there yet so that's why she wasn't even really his daughter-in-law so, <laughs> so Rashi treats this as, as, as like as a halachic and as she's telling the truth what? if she wasn't his daughter-in-law then doesn't that like take away her whole I know and, 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 exactly exactly so the point here really is you know as the Ramban, as Ramban says, right, this wasn't already obvious, you know, Ramban points out that the concept of, I mean, I shouldn't say it wasn't obvious, but implicit, anyway, if the Ramban points out that the concept of Yibum, he says, clearly in the ancient world before the Torah, went beyond the uh, brother, and that's what's going on with Yehud and Tamar, like it's anybody who's happening, and you see an echo of this in Ruth, because by Ruth and Boaz, right, he's not the brother of the, of the dead person, but there's this whole concept, you know, there's pseudo Yibum going on there, even though it's not literal Yibam, right? So therefore, as you know, so as, so you know, so as Jenna Proper correctly said, the whole point was that she was his daughter-in-law, but not that that made it in the rayot, That actually made it why Tamar wanted to do it, and that it was part of this whole you know pre yibum idea um, that was uh, that that was present. So anyway, but uh, clearly also there weren't hilchos needed yet either. So the Gemara is clearly you know reading its halacha back onto that scene. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Now I don't know how we uh, since we mentioned. Avraham, it seems to be, and Petachinayim. Let's talk about Avraham a little bit. So What does it mean? He planted. What's an Eishel? So he made well, yeah, but the Gemara questions exactly. So it says he made a whole garden. 
Okay? So not the bow, all different types of delicacies and fruits or whatever. And Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Nechemia, Chadamar Pardes, one said it was a garden. So Chadamar Pundak, no, it was an inn. Bishleim Elamandamar Pardes, Haim Tuchli Vayita, it's a plant. Elamandamar Pundak, my Vayita. What does it mean? Kirasli Vayita Alei Apadno. No, we can use the word to plant to mean like to pitch a tent. So he pitched his uh, inn. He, he, he built an inn. Vayikra B'Shem Hashem El Olam. He called out in the name of God. I'm ready to talk about Oh, right, right, right. The right, 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 right. Thank you. Right, Rashi said that. It means Achila Shkia Levia to eat, to drink, and to then be accompanied. So, don't read it, and he called. Ela Vayakri. He made people call out. He had God's name. He made God's name like being mentioned by everybody who would pass by. Kate said, how is this? Whether it was an inn or whether it was a garden of uh, beautiful fruit trees, he welcomed people in. He fed them. They drank. And after they ate and they drank, they wanted to give him a blessing for all of the wonderful hospitality. Do you think you ate my food? No, Michelle Elohei Olam Achaltem. You ate God's food. Hodu Shivchu Birchu Lemisha Mar Vaya Olam. Give thanks and praise and bless the one who created the world. So that's Vayikra B'Shem. And then he had everybody. That was the way, you know. That uh, he like uh, that. That's the way to do good kirim. You bring him in with the chalent or with the schnapps or whatever. And then, and, uh, okay, and then they come back for more. <laughs> Chabad house, exactly. Okay, hot. <laughs> Hot meat salad. By your air, Yudah saw her. By Back to that. And he, and he thought that she was a prostitute. Because she had covered her face. Because she covered her face, he thought she was a prostitute. Now, that assumes, I think there are different societies, you know. It assumes that there's a society that the modesty is you cover your face. Yeah. So, how does, so, and so obviously a brazen woman uncovers her face. But I think there are societies where it's the opposite, where the veiling is actually like a uh, part of the costume of a prostitute. Is that correct, Charlie? Yeah, so, no, the story was about Yehuda. Avram was clearly a digression. I've, I've even read that in some very, very conservative Muslim societies, the fact that women are completely veiled facilitates licentious acts. Because then you don't know because who you're... you never know what woman is behind the it, veil. It keeps everything anonymous. It keeps everything anonymous. Are you walking with your mistress? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. But anyway, but let's see what the Gemara says about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because since she was so modest when she was living in Yehuda's house, so therefore, A, he didn't, maybe he, he didn't recognize her. So, you know, he never because he never her saw her when he was married to his sons. Right, because she was so modest, and maybe it never would have occurred to him that such a modest woman would be a prostitute. But he never saw her before, even though she was his daughter-in-law. Okay. Uh, and now, ultimately, that modesty ultimately is going to have she is blessed by it because anybody who is modest, even in their father-in-law's house, you know, because on the one hand you're married, so you don't have to go around with your being so you know being so covered up. On the other hand, you're not only there with your husband you're there with your father-in-law so you make sure that you maintain there's another man around so if you're careful to maintain modesty 
ultimately you get kings and 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 and, and prophets. Minalan, where do you know Ni Tamar from Tamar? Nivim Dixiv Chazon Yishayo Ben Amot. And how do we know that that's descended from Tamar Yishayo? Because we'll see in the next pasuk. And Lachimi David. David ultimately comes from Yehuda, um, and then from Peretz. There I'm a Reb Levi. Now we're going to explain the Yeshayahu reference. We have this as a tradition. Amot v'amatziah were brothers. And Amatziah was Melech, was Melech Yehuda. Mm-hmm. So Amot, so Yeshayahu was descendant from the kingly line, right? He, his father-in-law, his uncle was the king. So ultimately he was descendant from David. So ultimately he was descendant from Yehuda and from Tamar. So from Tamar came kings and prophets. Okay. He moots eight. She was being taken out. So the mercy, and you know, she said, he to be killed. He mitotseit me baile. I don't know if that's the right grammar, but anyway, Rashi says mutseit by that, and the way it is, sounds more like he was discovered. What does he, right? So what does this mean? So, after the simanim were found, she, she was going to be taken to the court, so she was going to grab hold of, you know, of the uh, signet ring and of the staff and, you know, and present it. So that was what was going to save her. So once she had that in her hand, so Bas Samael, Samael, which was this like uh, seducing angel, he was also seen as a representative of Esav. So Babari Khan, he came and he distanced them. He like, he, because we don't want the Gula? Yeah, exactly. You don't want Melch David, ultimately he's going to smite Esav. Exactly. You don't want the Gula. So he came and he pushed somehow these uh, things away from her. But Gabriel, the Kirvan, Gabriel came and brought him back to her. So that's Himutseit. They were like somehow rediscovered, you know, the uh, Simanim. Okay. It's like Whatever. Okay, fine. What does this mean? For the, uh, for the choir master, the silent dove distant for David. What does that mean? Mikhtam, a, a whatever a Mikhtam means, a, whatever, a psalm. I know, it's a type of a song. It's a type of a song. Fine. Musical arrangement. Amrab Yochanan. Mishashanit Rachkusimanin, once the, uh, these, uh, uh, Simanin, these signs were, uh, you know, this evidence was distanced from her. Nasit Kiyona Ilemet. She became like a mute dove. She had no, she, she, she was going, she had nothing to say in court and she was going to be executed. With David Mikhtam, Shayatsamimenu, and as, uh, ultimately what, who came from Tamar was David, Shayamach, the time. He was like humble and, uh, and uh, pure, um, righteous in his way. Which is interesting because David also committed a you know, sexual That's abuse. a good point. That's a good point. L'chol davar, l'chol, for everyone, for all. Tavar acher michtam, shayisa makato tamah. Going back to the sexual point, he said, "No mahu." His uh, wound was pure in the sense that he was born already circumcised. Davar acher michtam David. We're talking about. When he was uh, when he was young, he humbled himself for those that were greater than him before he became king. For the purpose of learning Torah, even after he became king, he similarly had that humility. To more often talks about his relationship with his Rebbe, David, etc. Okay, so that's Tama, Shaisa, Tama, Makato, Mitchilavi, Adsofo. I don't know how we get the word Maka here, like she says. Um, anyway, with, anyway, whatever. Okay, so he was pure from beginning to end. Anyway, moving on. Wait, wait, wait what don't you understand the word Maka in this last Russia? 
Well, what, it's all based on mishtan. Right? I understand, but what is the word, what's the word makah here in being being uh, made himself humble for that for for you know for those greater than him? I, I don't know. They divide the word mishtan into. I, I know. What is the word? How does the word makah? What, what, where's the word of wound and smiting? How's that relevant to this last Russia? That's what I don't understand. Okay, anyway, whatever. Um, she sent them to her father in uh, her uh, father in law saying to the man for whom these belong, that's the one who made me pregnant. for him, through him I am pregnant. Um why don't you just say, you know, hey buddy, you did it. Here's the evidence. So probably one of the midrashim that gets taught most to kids, right, or something. I don't know. Anyway, very central midrash, right? Better get thrown into a fiery furnace there, which is what she was going to do. She was going to be burnt than to shame or yabin. It's funny. Sometimes we say to like blush and red, but also like when the blood runs from your face when you're totally devastated or whatever, you know, it becomes white to whiten somebody's face in public. Minalan mitamar. From tamar. You better thought, like to say better for the person, he'd rather be embarrassed. One who was being embarrassed would rather be thrown into a fiery furnace is not that. It's like it's better for you to, to be thrown into a fiery furnace. You should be prepared. Right, exactly, exactly. Right, that's good. Right, we're not saying that for the person being embarrassed, you'd rather, sometimes you talk about dying of embarrassment, right, exactly. you'd rather die right. than whatever. But you're right, the point here is how much you should be prepared to forego, you know, how, 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 like, how careful you have to be from saying something that might embarrass somebody that you could even, would even have to suffer like enormously. And as opposed to obviously well, people that revel in the opportunity, you know, to embarrass somebody. Of course, what I thought you were going to say, Michael, is that the shot of the Pesukim is, like, let's, let's be honest, why did she not say it directly? Because you say it directly, and it's just as likely, if not more, that it's, he's going to deny it, and he's going to be defensive, and it's not going to succeed. Right. You, know, you, 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 you know, you give him the opportunity, right, to uh, come forward and to admit, so, you know, that obviously seems like it's the shot, you know, it would have been counterproductive to confront him with it directly, yes. Just this last statement, in other words, better that you undergo Ligun Oh, oh, that's cute. Libun is like what he's right about, like going through like a, like a fiery furnace is malabain, right? That's a nice point. I hadn't thought about that. Good point. Okay. Um, okay. Hakir na, do you recognize? Yehuda sent out to his father the word hakir. Bakir bisru, and he was like, it was a, here we're back to midah, can I get midah finally? Bakir biser, hakir na, hakitonet bin chayim lo. Is this your son's uh, garment, right? That was when he, they sent it dipped in the blood, and uh, and, he, and then right afterwards it says, Yehuda Right, the immediate next story is this whole event with Yehuda, and obviously, even before we get to the uh, to the literary echoing, you know, the point of being of like taking responsibility for your actions and standing up and acknowledging and admitting, you know, as opposed to by the whole father, right? They sort of, you know, they kept distance and and they indi- you know, and they indirectly and they did denied, like, you know, sort of distance themselves from any responsibility. So obviously if there's a change here about Yehuda, you know, and the Medrash picks up about it. It says to Yehuda, you know, if you had stood up to us, we wouldn't have done it. Right? So, uh, but, uh, but he, and here finally, like, Yehuda is getting the strength to actually stand up and take responsibility and take leadership and the Haker switches. Yes? If Tamar had said it to Yehuda instead of his 
his saying it, right. she would have prevented him from doing the truth. Right. Saying it, right. He's doing his truth. Right. Absolutely. Right. The whole thing about Yehuda's character comes out because he's given that opening. And it's actually quite interesting, right? Because the Haker is giving somebody an opening. So in the case by the brothers sending it to, to Yaakov, if they would have said, look what happened to Yosef, right? He wouldn't have believed them. But if you sort of, you know, let the person say it himself, right? Then, you know, then it's more true. Like you gave him the opening. And so here too, if he would have confronted him, he would have like rejected it. But by giving him the opening, like he allowed him to own it. So there's a very similar dynamic, you know, going on with the whole haker. There's a second level yes. onto this also in terms of this uh, Yehuda. Right. Thank you for pointing that out. Right. So that's the thing. The way haker plays and the blood and the seir, right? Because it starts with Yaakov taking the the Yidiyizim and putting it on his like arms, right? And then he gets and he and he, and and it says and it says by Yitzchak, you know. Um, uh, what, what, what the Buzzard, um the low hikiro kiyu yadav right he did not recognize him so then he you know he was made him not be like you know use the gedizim to make him recognize something that was not true and then against him they used the gedizim you know dripped in blood to make him recognize something that was not true and then by Yehuda gets paid back and then ultimately the vayaker keeps on playing down like by Yosef and his brothers right the low you know vayaker Yosef so there's that whole theme but yes it very much is the midah kereged midah from um, from uh, the whole uh, Yaakov and uh, Yaakov and Esav story absolutely. Okay, so now it says, um, where was it? Uh, okay, the Hakem is Ruakenav, ain't na eloloshen bakasha, and na means please. Amale, she said to him, the bakasha mincha, please. Hamhakem panebar echa, recognize your creator. Va'al talima nechami many, do not hide your eyes from me. Va'yakir Yehuda, va'yomer tzadkami many, she is more righteous than I. So, Haimu da'amar Rabbi Chanin bar Biznam, Rabbi Shimon Chasida, Yosef, Shekidei Shem Shemayim Beseiter, Yosef, that sanctified God's name in private. Again, we're once again about sexual sin. He held back on the Eshes Potiphar. Zachav v'hosifulo osachas mishmosh el-kadbarchu. He got one letter of God's name. Dechziv edus b'yehosef shemo, an extra hey. Yehuda, Shekidei Shem Shemayim b'farhesia, in public, he publicly acknowledged his sin, right? Zachav v'nikwa kulo ha-shemosh el-kadbarchu. His whole name was called, like, Yehuda, you have a yud and a hey and a vav and a hey. So anyway, Kivan Shodeh, the Amar, he said, she is right, more righteous than I. Um, you have saved Tamar and her two children from the fire. I will save three of your children from the fire. Okay, which in the end, right, gets thrown into the fire and gets saved. Sadkami meni, minayada. Now, the Gemara reads me many, not she's more righteous than I, but she is more righteous. It is mine. It's my child. So how did he know? So, I mean, he had sex with her. He had, he, right, he had sex with her, but how do you know it's his child? You know, Yada. So, yes, exactly. Yatsabaskov Amra, me many Yatsukvushim. God is saying me many. This is all my divine plan. This all came from me. He no longer knew her no further, which presumably means he no longer had sex with her after that moment, which is funny. Like, uh, well, not funny. Anyway, so Amr Shmuel Saba, it's once he had knew her, and now it's reading knew her the way Rashi says, not means had sex with her, but knew that she was righteous. 
okay, and that she did it with Shem Shemayim, Shuv lo pasak mimena. He didn't stop having sex with her. Now they started living together, okay. It was a good once, you know. So now they became married. A powerful voice that did not cease. So it actually says not that thou be separated from her, but actually a nicer end to the story. Now they went and lived together. They became husband and wife. So, as, so that is strange. That is strange. Oh, now, if you see it in the context of you know, lover and marriage. Right. right. Yeah. If you see it in the context of lover marriage. And if you also see it in the context here about the issue. Father. Right. But also if you see it in the context of like sexual sin, remember we started with saying, you know, you desired something and you lost what was yours and you didn't get what you desired. And here, because he did the sort of right thing, right? I mean, not he started right because he started here as a prostitute, but he ultimately owned up, you know, and took responsibility and so on. Ultimately, he gets rewarded, as it were, and he gets to continue living with Tamar. I mean, that's one way of sort of seeing that. Right, in the end, he becomes his wife. Exactly. So since, so we'll end here, but since we are talking about the Tamar story, I just have to tell you a brilliant, and it's coming up pretty soon in the Parsha, I just have to share with you and we, a brilliant re- insight from uh, Robert Alter on the Parsha, where it says, you know, it says, and then when he wants to go pay her, it says he sends his Re'e and she says, So Robert Alter says, notes the difference between Zona, it says initially, and Kedesha. And he points out that Kedesha actually is not a prostitute, it's like a cult prostitute, you know, which is done in some type of a you know, some type of a Vodazar ritual, they would sleep with these cult prostitutes. All over the Middle East. Right. So he says, Yehuda was basically trying to save face. You don't want to go around and say, hey, where's the prostitute that I slept with the other, or his friend was saying. So, oh, cult prostitute, that's already like Lashem Shemayim, you know. <laughs> so he sends his friend to say, not where's the Zonah, but where's the Kadeshah to save face. But then the people say, Kadeshahs, we don't know of any Kadeshahs. Zonas we've got. Kadeshahs we don't know. <laughs> so, anyway. So you get that. So it's a good plan, I think. At the bottom. All right. So be